Well, good morning, sisters and brothers. Uh, we come now to our last uh, sermon in uh, 1 Peter, uh, and we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. So let me lead us in prayer uh, before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are God who speaks, and we thank you that you speak to us by your Spirit through your Word. Uh, and we pray that as we uh, look at your Word together, uh, your Spirit uh, would speak to our hearts, that we might see Christ more clearly, that we might love him more, that we might follow him and obey him uh, and trust in him and persevere in him uh, to the very end. And so we commit this time to your Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We are all facing various kinds of troubles. Uh, some of us have been ill with COVID-19 or other illnesses. Some of us have had to isolate because we're positive or we've been exposed. Uh, even though we've been okay, we know the stress that uncertainty brings to us and to those who care for us. Uh, some of us are journeying through the grief of losing loved ones, through COVID or for other reasons. Some of us are facing financial problems because of the way the pandemic has affected the economy. Some of us have lost our jobs and are eating into our savings. Some of us have finished our savings and rely on the generosity of others. Some of us struggle with the lockdown and the frustration of not being able to do what we'd normally want to do. Uh, some of us have to struggle with having to go to work when we feel much safer being at home. Uh, some of us are tired from looking after children and loved ones and, and people in our community. Some of us are lonely because we don't have anyone to look after, and it feels like there is no one looking after us each day. Some of us struggle with relationships with others. Some of us struggle with anxiety and depression in ourselves. There are all kinds of troubles a pandemic brings. And they only add to most of the problems and struggles that we would have had anyway without the pandemic, which are still there. We face many kinds of troubles. And as we have discovered, as we've read through 1 Peter, Peter was writing to Christians who were also facing all kinds of troubles. They weren't to do with a pandemic, they were to do with persecution. People were oppressing them, slandering them, ridiculing them for their faith in Christ. And in a few years' time, they would be outright torturing and killing them. And while the troubles are different, there is much we have learnt from 1 Peter about facing them. In 1 Peter, the Holy Spirit does not tell them how to make their persecution go away. And he doesn't tell us how to get rid of our troubles either. But he does remind us what we do need to know as God's people as we face those troubles. Because far more important than the end of the persecution for them, or the end of the pandemic for us, is the manner in which we go through them. Persecution and pandemic are both very dangerous, not just for the body, but for the soul. And in our concluding passage today, the Apostle Peter shows us how to face these troubles and come out safely on the other side. If you have your Bible open in front of you, you will see this is not the last passage in 1 Peter. Now, verses 12 to 14, which come after this, are like notes at the back. And we looked at them a few months ago, uh, together with chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, as, as, as the bookends of the letter. So the only thing that we're looking at there today is a reminder of the purpose of the letter. For as he looks back on the letter, in verse 12, Peter says that he had declared the true grace of God, and he is exhorting his readers to stand firm in it. And as we look back on the letter, we too can see how Peter has declared the true grace of God. 
God has ransomed us through the blood of Christ, sacrificed for us. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. And through this gospel that was preached to us, we've been born again. And in this new life that we have now, we, we have a hope. For God is keeping for us an inheritance in heaven that can never perish or spoil or fade. And even though we suffer all kinds of trials now, we know our future is secure. And our perseverance under trial will bring glory to Jesus when he comes again. And so we set our hope fully on the grace that is to come. And we know that this hope is a living hope, not a bluff hope, because Christ has been raised from the dead. This, Peter says, is a true grace of God. And then he says, stand firm in it. And in this letter, he's also told us how to keep our conduct honorable amid the difficulties we face. That's one part of standing firm. And he's applied that in the context of society, in the workplace, the home, the Christian community. He's told us it's better to suffer like Jesus for doing good than for doing evil. He's reminded us that we are no longer to live for human passions, but for the will of God. And he's told us that there is a blessing that comes for suffering for Christ, and that those who suffer according to God's will should entrust their souls to the faithful Creator and continue to do good. He's spoken to leaders in the church and to those who are led by them, and he's told them both to exercise their roles with humility. For as he said in verse 5 of chapter 5, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And in this concluding passage, the Spirit, through Peter, will give us three big instructions that will help us stand firm in the grace of God as we face troubles. Be humbled, be vigilant, be assured. Be humbled, be vigilant, be assured. And we'll look at each of them in turn. The first thing in verse 6 is a, actually a continuation of the idea back in verse 5 that God favors the humble. And so still speaking to all the people in the church, both the leaders and those who are being led, Peter says in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Uh, the word translated humble yourselves is actually a passive. Uh, be humble, therefore, under God's mighty hand. It's God's mighty hand because God really is sovereign. Our lives are ultimately in, in his hands, not ours. Our futures are ultimately in his hands, not the hands of those who oppress us. And even though the trials that we go through might come from secondary sources, ultimately he is in control. And he wants to use these trials for our good. And so the proper response is to allow ourselves to be humbled by realizing our place before him. For some of us, that might mean realizing that we are not in control of our own lives. In our pride, we want to be, and we can fool ourselves into thinking that we are most of the time. But when big things happen that we can do nothing about, then we realize we need to rest in God's sovereignty. I can't do anything about this at all. All I can do is entrust myself to a faithful creator and do good. Well, that's, that's humbling. For some of us, it might, realize, might mean realizing that we need to examine ourselves and repent. It may be that although we are believers, we have, we've got the sin in our lives, so we just leave there. And like a weed in the garden of our lives, it will slowly grow. And humbling ourselves may mean coming to God in repentance and faith, admitting that we've been harboring this sin, turning away from it in our hearts, and by our actions, 
and asking God to help us deal with it and to live the new life. That's, that's humbling. And for some of us, it might simply mean admitting that God is God and receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Pride will say, don't do it. You lose face because you, you admit that you've been wrong all this time. But we might need to put away our pride, admit that we've been wrong, and turn and follow Jesus. God will forgive us and indeed give us a new life. That's humbling. For some of us, it might mean accepting suffering and pain without complaint. Pride would say, I don't deserve this. It's okay for other people to suffer, but it shouldn't be me. I'm too special for that. Humility says, I will accept from the Lord's hand the things that I like, as well as the things I don't like. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's humbling. And friends, as we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we do so, verse 6, so that at the proper time he may exalt us. That humbling, as unpleasant as it might be, is the path to glory. Jesus humbled himself to death on the cross and was indeed exalted by his resurrection and ascension in due time. And that is the same pattern for us. The God under whose mighty hand we humble ourselves is the same God whose mighty hand will rescue us in the end. Being humbled now, being refined now, being disciplined now, being changed now, is actually for our ultimate benefit. And friends, we are not to lift ourselves up. We are not to make ourselves great. We are not to seek our own greatness and glory. We are, submit to his, we are to submit to his discipline, allow him to humble us, and eventually God will lift us up. As we humble ourselves, there is something Peter wants us to do, and that's in verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him. Part of humbling ourselves, whatever that looks like, must mean bringing our problems, our burdens, our cares to God in prayer. Part of humbling ourselves is acknowledging our dependence on him in all these matters, and that's so, so important. Sometimes when people go through difficult times, they, they shut God out. Don't do that. You'll be in terrible spiritual danger if you do. Instead, come to him. Tell him the problems. Psalm 55 verse 22 says this, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. If we bring our problems, our cares, our troubles to God, he will sustain us. It doesn't mean he'll make them better but he will enable us to keep on loving him and trusting him to the end so that we can enjoy the glory that is to come. And that's the important thing. Now, Peter wants to say this, but there's actually there's, there's more that he wants to say. Cast your anxieties on him, Peter says, quoting the psalm. But then the Spirit leads him to add another reason for it. Look at verse 7 again. Casting all your anxieties on him because... He cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for you. Peter's reminded us already what God has done for us in the past. He's, he has bought us to be his through the precious blood of Christ. Peter's told us that, that he's got a future inheritance for us in glory. 
And he's told us that when, when facing trials, we should trust God and do good, and that God can be trusted to save us in the end. But right here, in his conclusion, he draws together all these things into one beautiful phrase. He cares for you. Of course he cares for you. That's why Jesus died for you. Of course he cares for you. That's why he's keeping the inheritance for you and keeping you for the inheritance. Of course he cares for you. That's why he's refining your faith through all these trials and why he calls you to obedience. Of course he cares for you. That's why he wants you to follow the pattern of Jesus, to suffer first and then enter glory. Of course he cares for you. We know that. But it's so easy to forget, isn't it? When going through the trials, it's so easy to forget that we have a God who cares for us and invites us to cast our cares on him. Nothing wrong with getting support from others. It's a good thing to be part of God's provision for us. But when facing trials, before you run to anyone else, run to the Lord who cares for you. There may be people who care for you, and there may be many or few, but not one of us who belongs to Jesus can say, nobody cares for me. God really, really, really cares. He loves you. He listens to your prayers. Cast your anxieties on him. Sometimes God brings us through tough times so that we can actually learn to do that. We need to face the darkness before we can learn to trust him in the darkness. Sometimes under God's mighty and loving hand, we face all kinds of trials, so we learn to cast our cares for him, on him, to cry out to him in desperate prayer, knowing that we are speaking to the God who loves us and cares for us. And when we place ourselves in that posture before God, we realize more and more our own inadequacy and weakness. We appreciate more intensely our own helplessness and bankruptcy. We become more and more conscious of the need we have for his sovereign grace, his favor that we couldn't possibly deserve. We can't earn his favor, can't demand it from him, we can't twist his hand to make him give it to us. We're just dependent on his goodwill, and that is so humbling. But it does not bring us to despair, because the God on whom we depend cares for us. It is so humbling, and that is a good thing. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Be humble, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Be humble. Going through hard times doesn't always lead people to humble themselves before God. Sometimes people respond to suffering by, by shutting God out instead of crying out to him. And, and if that keeps happening, it can be very dangerous. Some people fall away from professing the faith or just wander away from the gospel when trials come. And if they persist in that, it, it shows their faith is not genuine, for it did not survive the trial. But Peter does not want that to happen to his readers. And so he warns them, and the Spirit warns us in verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, 
seeking someone to devour. Whether you're a shepherd or a sheep, when you hear a lion's roar, what you don't do is get drunk or go to sleep. You've got to stay awake. You've got to be alert because you know there's a lion around and he's a dangerous enemy. And friends, let me warn you, we have an enemy. The devil is like a roaring lion prowling around. He wants to kill you and eat you. That is, he wants you to fall victim to him. He wants to take you away from Christ. He wants to stop you from following Jesus. He does not want you to persevere in Christ to the end and enter the glory of the kingdom. He will try to prevent you. He seeks the destruction of your soul. Sometimes he uses ease to lure us away from dependence on God. And sometimes, especially today, he will try to use hardship to turn our hearts from him. Sometimes, you know, it's just tiring coming to church online every week. And you say, now mind, just wait till we have on-site services again. And then you lose the habit of gathering with God's people and the danger level goes up. Sometimes it's hard meeting with fellow believers by Zoom on weeknights when you've been Zooming with your colleagues all day. Or sometimes it's hard to keep reading your Bible and praying when you're not sure is God really listening. Sometimes it's hard to follow Jesus and reject sin when you don't feel like it. And the devil lies to you that sin is the one thing that will make you feel better. Danger level goes up. So what should we do? Resist him, Peter says in verse 9. Don't let him get the better of you. Don't believe his lies. God really cares for you. Don't let him trick you into giving up. Suffering will be followed by glory if we persist in trusting Jesus. If you are vigilant and you realize his tricks, Fight against him. Resist him. Instead of capitulating and giving up, verse 9, stand firm in your faith. Keep trusting Jesus even when times are hard. Keep believing the gospel even when you're tired. Keep following the Savior even when it's difficult. Doggedly maintain that God is good when everything around you seems bad. Press on in being godly, even when other people try to draw you away. Keep reading God's word, even when you don't feel like it. Keep coming to God in prayer, even when there are things to distract you. Keep meeting with God's people, even when it's hard to keep on doing it online. Never, 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 never give up. Resist the devil. Stand firm in the faith. And be willing to suffer for Christ now, in light of the glory to come. And one thing that can encourage you as you do that is that you're not doing it alone. Verse 9 says, resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Brothers and sisters, whatever we face, we are not alone. Right? The first readers of Peter faced persecution. So do Christians in Afghanistan and Christians around the world. Many of us face loss and grief of all kinds, but so have believers down through the ages and across the globe. Don't be surprised by the trials you face. And don't listen to preachers who would say that the Christian life should always be filled with health, wealth, and ease. That is not what God promised, and it's just not true. The trials you face are either 
part of the normal sufferings of living in a fallen world or part of the normal sufferings of living for Jesus. What the people of Peter's day were facing and the problems that we face today, they're not exceptional things in themselves. Trials are expected to be part of a normal Christian life. And they are no reason to turn away from the faith. Don't let the devil tell you otherwise. Resist the devil who tries to use them to make you give up. Stand firm, my friends, in the gospel. Be vigilant. And if you do that, then the suffering glory pattern will be the mark of your life. Suffer now for a time, and then enter glory forever. That was God's plan for Jesus, and that is God's gracious plan for us. And so the third thing we learn from this passage is to be assured. Be assured. The Holy Spirit, through Peter, gives us a wonderful assurance in verse 10. I've translated the word order of the sentence a little bit different from the ESV, but I think it's better. The God of all grace, he says, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Brothers and sisters, in the end, it is the God of all grace who is at work in our lives. He is the one who has shown us his grace, his undeserved favor in Jesus Christ. In his grace, he has called us to his eternal glory after we've suffered a little while. And by his grace, he will get us there. We are saved by his grace, we are kept by his grace, and in the end we will enjoy our eternal inheritance by his grace. And no matter what we suffer in the short and temporary life, it will not defeat his purpose. He is the one who is working in us, even in the midst of the trials. He is maturing us. He is supporting us with the strength that we need to press on in the gospel. He keeps us steadfast and firm in our foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this God of all grace will bring us to glory. Now that doesn't mean we don't heed the warnings we just looked at, because those whom God has called to glory will take heed of these warnings, and they will take them very, very seriously. And because of those warnings, we will be vigilant, and we will resist the devil. And so the warnings will actually be one of the ways God keeps us to the end. But the God of grace has called us to glory, and he will get us there. Be assured. So, brothers and sisters, amid, amidst troubled times, be assured that the God of grace is the God who rules the world. Yes, it is humbling to realize that we don't really control our future, but it's actually assuring that the God who cares for us, his people, is the God who holds our lives in his hands. And the God who has called us to glory will bring us safely to our inheritance. For he is the all-powerful God to whom rightly belongs, in verse 11, the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this is indeed the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful grace you have shown us in Christ. 
Please help us to stand firm in that grace. Father, we know that you care for us, and we know that we are completely dependent upon you. Have mercy upon us, we pray. Forgive us for our pride and self-reliance, and help us to humble ourselves before you as our God. Enable us, we pray, to be vigilant, to resist the devil who seeks to devour us by turning us away from Christ. Please strengthen us to fight against his schemes. And please also help us to look out for each other in this regard. But in the end, please help us to have our confidence and hope, not in ourselves, but in you and your grace. For you are the one who has called us to glory in Christ Jesus. And you are the one who will be glorified on the day when he returns, as you bring us safely into his presence, to enjoy our inheritance in you forever. And we ask all these things in his precious name.